0: It certainly is. 89.9 The Light. This is Positive Radio. And joining me on the line, a man who uh, we have certainly been trying to get and hoping to get on the program for about five or six years now, Professor John Lennox. He is Emeritus Professor of Mathematics and Philosophy of Science at the University of Oxford. Uh, Professor Lennox, great to have you with us. Thanks so much, John.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's always a delight to be in Australia, even though it's in cyberspace.
0: (laughs) It certainly is. And we're having a chat to John tonight uh, via Skype. Now, uh, John, we're going to be talking to you about a whole host of things. The, The most recent books that you put out are Where Is God in a Coronavirus World? And we want to talk about that. And also artificial intelligence and the future of humanity it's uh you titled it 2084 um we might uh, get to the coronavirus one in a moment because we've already got a question on the line and you can ask your questions as well on 1300 777 899 1300 777 899 uh simon from selby joins us g'day simon g'day clayton how are you i'm doing very well thank you uh we might just start with your questions straight away uh you're on with john lennox Sure. First of all, uh, hello, Professor Lennox. It's an honor to speak to you today. Um, I grew up in a, in a really small church with you know anti-vaxxers and six-day literalists, and I'm a scientist now, and I've got a young son, and we spend a lot of time talking about how we can agree to disagree with people, but still love them, and it was so nice to hear you and other scientists like yourself, uh, Christian scientists who can keep a civil and, and really lovely tone, um, and the technology that's enabled that across the world has been fantastic. But I know recently we've been hearing that the same sort of technology can trap people in their own sort of social media bubbles. Um, so I was just wondering uh, what you think about with artificial intelligence sort of being used to, to feed back what people already believe. How do you see that sort of playing out in the future and, and how can we stop people sort of being stuck in their own one-dimensional bubbles?
1: Well... We've got to start with ourselves, and it's lovely to talk to you. I I think this is a big question. There's no easy answer to it. First of all, I do strongly emphasize the idea that we must learn to speak reasonably and with grace, but with truth, and particularly where science is concerned. I'm passionate about science. I'm glad to hear that you and your son are and there are stereotypes out there that uh, we have to combat to to a large extent. And incidentally, uh, you may not be aware of this, but last year I wrote a, a book called Can Science Explain Everything? And it's geared to younger people to try to help them get into a reasonable kind of debate. As for artificial intelligence, well, you're opening a huge topic, which is why I've written a whole book on it. there is the danger of getting in a bubble. But the way we avoid that is not allowing ourselves to get into a bubble. Now, how we can deal with that is problematic because artificial intelligence is something that we are actually, most of us, willing on ourselves in the sense that we all wear trackers and we're all opening ourselves up to having information taken from us without our permission. For example, the AI systems that build up a vast database of information that we leave behind us in our commercial transactions and where we go, who we meet with, all this kind of thing. I understand that commercially, a great deal of this is being sold on without our permission. And therefore, there is huge danger of walking, sleepwalking into a surveillance society. And I think part of the way of avoiding that is by trying to do what I've been doing, and that is to talk about the two sides of AI. That is the positive side that is greatly to be welcomed. And I hope there are many people, Christians included, working in that science Uh, huge benefits in medicine, but being aware at the same time that it raises moral and ethical issues. And the difficulty is, as I suspect you know, that the ethics is very much behind the technology. Technology advances very rapidly. The ethics doesn't.
0: Mm. Simon, thank you so much for that question. Um, It certainly starts us off well. Really appreciate it. No, brilliant! Thank you for the great show. Good idea. Thank you, Simon. One three hundred triple seven eight double nine is the number. One three hundred triple seven eight double nine. If you'd like to ask Professor Lennox a, a question as well, uh, you can also text through zero four two eight eight double nine eight double nine. John, I know that your heart and passion is to. Uh, Talk about faith and life and and God, but mix it and understand it through this prism of science and philosophy and mathematics and and these sorts of things as well. Um, You you got really personal, I suppose, with this most recent book as well. Where is God in the coronavirus world? I I love that you said, look, my heart's desire for this one is if I was to sit down with, with somebody for a coffee and they said, hey, what's going on with all this? This is what I try and say. Um, So as you started a book like that and everybody's sort of dealing with this at the same time, where was the start to actually start writing about where is God in a coronavirus world? For you, what was the first thing you went to?
1: Well, the... First thing to realise is the coffee has got to be an Australian flat white.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly right. Well, and here in Melbourne too. What,
1: <laughs> what, what happened was, and I've enjoyed many in Melbourne, what, what happened was that I'm a mathematician and when I saw this thing accelerating, I realised that we're going to have exponential growth. I'm in my mid-70s. We're vulnerable medically. So we're among the people that have to lock down, and we've been locked down for nearly three months now with very little going out of the house. And I wondered, what can I do? I'm not a frontline medic, but perhaps I can write into this situation because I do believe that this is part of the hardest question that anybody faces, whether they're Christian or not, the problem of suffering and evil But I do think that Christianity has something credible to say into this. So I sat down on a Monday morning and I wrote for many hours a day for one week. I then sent the manuscript to a publisher whom I know. And by the next Wednesday, the book was printed. Mm. And it's now in over 25 languages.
0: Just incredible. Um, and as we we do start dealing with some of those questions, I, I think they're questions that all of us have, have been uh, asking. And, uh, you know, there's some who I've heard are, are talking about um, this virus as a, a great thing or, you know, maybe it's a judgment of God, those sorts of things. Mm. As we start with those sorts of questions, do, do you think this is something that God actually instigated and said, that, you know, this is what I'm wanting to actually, you know, put onto the world? If he's an all-powerful being, this is this is it, this is what I actually wanted for the world. How would you answer that question?
1: I think we need to be very careful with that kind of assessment. From a biblical perspective, certainly there have been plagues in the past. The book of Exodus tells us that we're sent by God as judgments. But I think that in the New Testament, we have a very clear compass bearing given by Jesus himself as to how to deal with this in principle. The story is so important, I'll just relate it briefly. It's in Luke 13, Jesus is on the temple area in Jerusalem, and somebody in the crowd says, Lord, this is where Pilate came and massacred a group of people at worship. And his response to that tragedy is, Do you think that they were worse than anybody else in Jerusalem? I tell you, they were not. And then, very interestingly, Jesus tells them about another event, the collapse of the Tower of Siloam, also in Jerusalem. And he said, what do you think about the 18 people on whom that tower fell and killed them? Were they worse than anybody else in Jerusalem at the time? I tell you, they were not. Now, this is very important because here's a principle that applies to small tragedies and large tragedies. The massacre of the worshippers, that's moral evil. The falling of the tower is what we call rather, uh, it's rather misleading. We call it natural evil, but a natural disaster like. Earthquakes, COVID-19, and so on. And what Jesus is saying, when you see these tragedies, whether they're small or large, you cannot necessarily assume that this is the judgment of God because they're worse than anybody else. That's very important observation. Secondly, if you listen, hear people saying that, it doesn't turn people to God. It actually makes them very angry with the people who are saying such things. And uh, they tend to say, look, who do you think you are, Uh, saying that this is God's judgment. So we need to be hugely careful, but there is something in addition that Jesus said at the end of that. He said to the whole crowd listening, he said, except you all repent, you shall likewise perish. Now he didn't mean you're going to either die in church in a massacre or a tower's gonna fall on you. What he meant was this, I think that when we see a tragedy, small or large, and remember, coronavirus is a large tragedy that consists of smaller tragedies. When we see that, it reminds us of certain fundamental things. It makes people think of their vulnerability. We thought we were in control, we're not. It makes them think of death. It makes them think of eternity. And it makes them think of God. In other words, it functions as a wake-up call. That's been happening here in the UK. In fact, I'm told that a few weeks ago, 25% of the UK population listened to all are part of a church service, a virtual church service during the week. Why is that? People are beginning to think of God. So here's where I feel we're on very safe ground. If we respond to the fact that this is a wake-up call. Now, clearly, if we're in a world that God has created, he has allowed it. But to think that it's a direct judgment, be very careful with that. My final point on this is, of course, sometimes illness is a judgment. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he said, look, some of you are ill, and some of you have died prematurely because of your immoral um, behavior. So there is a connection, there can be a connection between pain, suffering, and moral evil. But if we don't have the word of God on it, and there's nothing in the Bible so far as I know about COVID-19, we need to be very careful. And instead of closing down the conversation by thinking that we know it's God's judgment, we're better to open it up by talking to people about the ideas that come into their heads when they see this happening.
0: Mm. And so part of the job, if we're saying, hey, we're somebody of faith, is to actually be open to those questions. It seems like that's actually the position that we should perhaps hold.
1: Well, just let me say this. You said we're somebody of faith. The problem in our world is this, everybody is a person of faith. Right. My faith is in God. Some people have faith in uh, no God, but every person is a person of faith. And you'll notice when I talk about faith, and this is hugely important, I say what it's faith in, mm. because there's no person that's not a believer in something. And on your program listening to it now, there'll be loads of people and the thing to check out is, of course, you've got faith. You trust things and you trust people. And the important question to ask is, is your faith based on evidence? Because especially when it comes to matter, matters of life and death, we need to check that out.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Professor John Lennox is my special guest. We're going to be back with him in 90 seconds from now as we continue to talk about where is God in a coronavirus world. We're going to talk a whole host of things and you can ask any of your questions as well. 0428 899, 899 is the text line and you can phone through your question 1300 777 eight double nine 90 seconds we'll be back with professor lennox in conversation with clayton 89.9 the light this is in community conversation with clayton and joining me on the line from the uk is uh, professor john lennox he's a emeritus professor of mathematics and philosophy of science at the university of oxford it is wonderful to have john with us this evening and um has uh, debated with so many people around the world, including here in Australia as well, uh, and many, many atheists uh, and uh, for Uh, your perspective John I know talking uh, very much about that faith that you have in Jesus and the fact that he is the creator and the sustainer of this world as we go forward as well we might talk a bit more about some of those debates that you've had and uh, and the things that you've learned as you've gone through that in a couple of minutes time but uh, firstly just to respond to what you talked about then as we talked about God in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic and and the way to look at it. It seemed to me the way you were describing it in the last few moments was very much from the theological point of view and and maybe even from the logical point of view if we want to refer to it as that point of view. Is there a way that we perhaps should be responding emotionally uh, best as well? Do do you have some thoughts around that?
1: I think we have to respond to the whole person. It's very clear from how uh, Jesus himself responded. There's a A story in the New Testament about a little nuclear family hit by tragedy, two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus, who was ill. And they sent a message to Jesus, who was miles away, and said, the one you love is ill, and they expected him to come, but he didn't come. And they watched him die. And, of course, all kinds of mixed emotion possibly even anger because they knew that he had special powers. So when he eventually came, Martha met him and she said, look, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, there's the problem of coronavirus immediately. They believed that Jesus had the power, but he was absent. Was he in quarantine? Was he social distancing? (laughs) Is God absent? That's the big question. And Jesus then enters into a discussion with her and says, your brother will rise again. Yes, she says he will at the resurrection in the last day. He said, I don't mean that. I'm talking about myself. I am the resurrection, which is a staggering claim. The person that lives and believes in me shall never die, he said. But then the sister turned up, Mary, and she said, identical words, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then she burst out weeping. And Jesus didn't enter a deep discussion with her. He wept too. And it's one of the few recorded instances of Jesus himself weeping. They weren't crocodile tears. He was saying what death did to a little family. And I think he sees that today. And this is showing us the heart of God. Now, it's real. Why is it real? Why did he show that emotional empathy? Because he was about to make it real by going and suffering himself on a cross to do something about the fractures in human nature and in physical nature that cause all of this. But the important lesson in answer to your question is this. We need to respond to people who have questions. They are often the people who are watching the suffering. But for the sufferers themselves, they need a touch. Just imagine, as many people have had to do in the past days, saying goodbye to a loved one without even being able to touch them. Mm. People need a hug. They need to see weeping. And I think it's hugely important that we remember that people are not just intellects. If they need answers, we need to be prepared to answer them. But if they need emotional support, And there are going to be a huge range of mental problems uh, arising out of the coronavirus. And it's here that I believe that if our Christianity means anything, we need to be sensitive to whether people are asking us questions that we can answer intellectually, or whether what they need is pastoral care, comfort, encouragement, Contact by phone if they're locked down and shut in, and all that kind of thing. So, you're hitting on something very important there.
0: Yeah. Um, as you described that incredible story of, of Jesus and, and with Mary and Martha, and, and then Lazarus as well, I suppose one question that may be asked from everybody is that if, as you know, Jesus was then, he's, he was there, he's here now, um, why not just fix this COVID crisis? Why not actually? Um, cause something to occur or immediately give somebody a vaccine idea and and, and have it roll out. When we answer those sorts of questions, how, how do you approach answering those questions of why doesn't God sort of just snap his fingers and, and fix it right now?
1: Well, they're very difficult questions, and they all go back to a basic question. Why didn't God make the world in which such things can't happen in mm. the first place? Yeah. And that's an age-old question, and it's a very important one. And the biblical answer to it, whatever we make of it, the biblical answer to it is there's a, a connection, original connection between moral evil and disobedience to God that brought sin into the world and natural evil. Because we read this, as Paul says, by one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death passed upon all men. All of us die physically, that is a consequence of moral evil. So there's a connection. And Genesis tells us that God told them that yes, they would be able to plow the fields and eat from the grain that they harvested, but there would be thorns and thistles. There's a fracture in nature that goes right back then. And it seems to me that COVID-19 and earthquakes and all of that are part of it. Now, here's where the difficulty increases because viruses are mostly good. I'm told by experts that only 1% of them are pathogens. And viruses are not only good, they're absolutely necessary for human life. Now, the difficulty is that if we look back and say, couldn't an all-powerful God have made a world in which people don't go wrong and nature doesn't go wrong? My answer to that may surprise some of your listeners. It is, of course he could. Plants can't sin, and uh, probably animals can't sin. If If a crocodile bites your head off, he doesn't appear in court. But whatever the answer to that is, humans have got this, and I'm going to say this carefully, a magnificent capacity of being able to choose to say yes or no. Humans have the ability to sin, but not the permission to sin. Now, what does that mean? It means that there is the possibility of deep relationships and love. In a world of robots, there is no possibility of love. So... In a sense, God took a risk in creating people that could say no to him. And I've got three kids and 10 grandkids. And I remember holding the first child in my arms as a tiny baby and saying, little girl, you could grow up to reject me. Well, why have kids? Well, we all know that, especially if we're Christians, it's far, it's well worth the risk in the hope that they will develop a loving relationship with us as parents, uh, something that brings huge joy and is invaluable. But I think you, you can see exactly what I mean. People who say, why couldn't God have made a world in which there are, there's no possibility of choice that leads to disaster, they're actually wishing themselves out of existence. There would be no human beings made in the image of God in that world? Now that doesn't answer the question. I'm aware of that. The deeper question is this. However we explain it, however we like it or not, we face a world with a mixed picture. I went out the other night and saw the Orion Nebula through my telescope, magnificent stars. I come in and I see television news of a COVID-19 emergency ward and, and people dying. And all of us face that. There's beauty and there's ugliness. There are the stars and there's COVID-19. And the deep question that we all face is this. Let me put it this way. Granted that it's like that, and we all have to, is there any evidence that there's a God that we can trust with it? In spite of the questions it raises, And my answer to that could take a very long time. But at heart, it's the fact that although I have no simplistic answers to these questions, I see in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who shows me on the cross at least this. There's a great deal more, but at least this that God has not remained distant from the problem of human suffering, but has himself become part of it. And that gives us a window into a possibility. But I don't think there are simple answers. And if I thought that there was only the death of Jesus, I wouldn't be talking to you today. But... He rose from the dead, and I, as a scientist, I am firmly convinced of that fact. And that opens up a huge new possibility. Yeah. That death is not the end. Now, let me finally say this on this topic. This problem goes back thousands of years. It started long before you or me. I didn't engineer it, nor did you or any of the listeners. And it would be very unfair of God if he expected us to put it right individually. And that's where Christianity is unique in its offer of salvation. Salvation means rescuing us, but offering us something that deals with the problem that does not depend on our merit. Now, you'll all be aware that most religions, they basically tell you that if you follow these rules, some of them are very good rules, and do so for all of your life and do it well enough so that God can accept you at the end, that's religion. Well, Christianity is not a religion in that sense because what Jesus offers us is not acceptance at the end of a journey trying to satisfy God's standards or even our own. It's giving us acceptance at the beginning, not because what we've done. We can't put it right. It's too big. It's because Jesus has done something to put us right with him. And because he offers us peace with God, forgiveness, and above all, a new life that COVID-19 cannot touch, that is where I want to stand in and say, look, there are huge questions and complications. If COVID-19 kills me, I will go into the uh, uh, heaven with many questions. Mm. But I do believe that Jesus is trustworthy, both from what I know of him through the Gospels and in my experience. And that is where I rest my case. Christianity is offering us something that isn't simplistic, no superficial panacea, but offers us a relationship that transcends death. Yeah. Um,
0: uh, Angie's texted through a a question as well on 0428 899 899. And it's sort of the flip of what you're talking about there too, John. It talked about when... When Jesus was born, the angels sang peace and goodwill towards men. So with that premise, why do we blame God when things go wrong on either a personal or perhaps a larger scale tragedy crisis like this? So it's sort of the flip of that. If we sort of do stand back and say, all right, there, there is a God who is this and is good and, and and these things, you know, we allow, he allows us choice and that actually makes us it, even more special, Um Why do we have this sort of tendency, I suppose, as a race to to blame God? Have you looked into that as a a sort of a a bigger picture, I suppose?
1: Well, of course, we blame everybody else when things go wrong, but we congratulate ourselves when they go right. (laughs) This is part of the, 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 the human condition. And it's sad, really. The title of my book, Where is God in a Coronavirus World?, I say to some people, look, where was God in your world before coronavirus? Well, many people weren't even thinking about him. And I say to them, look, was God in your life? Were you following him or was he completely irrelevant? Because I want to tell you that God is in a coronavirus world exactly in the same place where he was before. Mm. But you may have been ignoring him. And now you're called to wake up and think about these big questions of eternity. God is as near to you as he was before, but he's not going to force his way into your life. He's offering you salvation, new life, peace with God and forgiveness on condition that you repent of the mess that you're making of your own life and the lives of others. And you trust him for that salvation. That's where he is very near and Our tendency to blame is, uh, I nearly said, natural. It's natural for fallen human beings to do that. But we need to get a sense of proportion back. God has demonstrated that he loves us. If we are blaming him, we ought to just stop for a little while and say, is there anything that we can be thankful for? Mm. And to look into the message of the gospel. There are loads of things we can be thankful for, particularly for the medical people who are fighting and taking risks with their own lives to save the rest of us. But your caller is quite right. We do have this unbalanced tendency. We're not thankful, and then when things go wrong, God is to blame, somebody else is to blame, the politicians are to blame, uh, and so on. We need to take responsibility. God has given us the dignity of being stewards of this planet. And we're not doing terribly well. And I think we need to wake up to that.
0: Professor John Lennox is my special guest here on In Conversation. He is with us for another 15 minutes. Uh, We're going to be back with him in just 60 seconds from now. Brian's on the line. He's about to ask his question, and you can ask Professor John as well. Your question, 1300 777 899. 15 more minutes. We're going to be talking about these issues with the man who has spent many, many hours uh, thinking, processing, researching, and debating. Uh, It's a real pleasure to have Professor John Lennox with us this evening one three hundred triple seven eight double nine. In conversation with Clayton eighty nine
1: point nine the light
0: positive radio.
1: This
0: is in conversation with Clayton. That it is. It is wonderful to have your company this evening, and Professor John Lennox, Emeritus Professor of Mathematics and Philosophy of Science at the University of Oxford, is my special guest. Uh, I had a great. Uh, a great desire to have uh, John on the program for many, many years and regarded by many around the world as one of the leading uh, biblical scholars and philosophers. And it's so great to have you with us once again, John. Uh, we're asking everybody to, uh, if you'd like to ask uh, John a question, please do, one three hundred triple 899 Brian joins us now from Nary Warren North. Brian, thank you so much. You're on with John Lennox. Thank you, Clayton. Uh, Professor Lennox, um Look, I've just got a a broad question. Uh, It's not very specific, but but one in particular in regards to scientists. Generally, I'm I'm in your age bracket in the 70s, in our golden years, so maybe. Um, But uh, is there more of a trend away from, say, Christianity or Christian faith um, and more belief that science can answer everything? Has there been a trend like that amongst scientists? Does it does it appear to be? It certainly appears to me to be that way. But I was wondering, uh, you you'd come across a lot more of them than I would.
1: Oh yes, the, we call the idea that uh, science is the only way to truth. That's called scientism. And I've spent a great deal of time thinking about it. I mentioned a new book of mine earlier, and you might like to look that up. It's called Can Science Explain Everything? And there is that trend, particularly among atheistic scientists. But the really great scientists in the past and in the present have seen that that is just obviously false, If science can explain everything, then our universities, you've got some very good ones in Australia, would have to close half their faculties tomorrow. There'd be no languages, there'd be no literature, there'd be no economics, there would be no, and all the rest of it, no philosophy and certainly no theology. The natural sciences cannot explain everything. Einstein who was one of the brightest that ever lived, once said, you can speak of the ethical foundations of science, but you cannot speak of the scientific foundations of ethics. And I think it's very important, particularly for young people, to realise that science is wonderful. It can do lots of stuff, but it can do that only because it answers a limited range of questions, mostly the how questions. It cannot answer questions of meaning and significance. In other words, it can't answer the really big questions that really matter. And it is a real concern. And if I may mention it, I've got a large website, JohnLennox.org, with many lectures, including some in Australia, dealing with this kind of question.
0: Brian, thank you so much for your time and for your question. That's excellent. Thank you very much, Clayton. Thank you very much, Professor Lennox. Good idea. Thank you. You can ask your question as well, 1300 777 899 or text through 0428 899 899. Professor Lennox, it does seem like that that's sort of starting to separate the differences between uh, fact and truth, that science can do a, a lot around fact and at times may be able to push into truth, but there is so much more beyond just science around truth. Is that sort of a fair summary, or am I perhaps simplifying it a little bit too much?
1: Well, I wouldn't. The way I would put it is scientists believe in truth. You wouldn't do science if you didn't believe there was truth to be obtained. But really competent scientists will always be tentative and say, you know, Galileo was clever, but Kepler got nearer the truth, and Newton got nearer that, and uh, then Einstein got nearer, but we're never absolutely certain that we've got to an absolute truth about the universe, although we've got far enough to rely on those truths. We rely on mathematics and engineering every time we get on an aircraft, which we used to do, so that They are seeking and do believe in truth, but it's the truth about the meaning of things that is beyond the natural sciences. And there, we need to go outside. We need to go to experience. We need to go to history. We need to go to literature. And above all, I believe we need to go to the revelation that God has given us in the Bible. We study the universe and scientists studied the universe with a given, the mind God has given them. But you see, out there, there's not only the universe, there is the Bible. And this is God's word, so to speak. We can study God's world, we can study God's word, and we need both to get a complete picture.
0: Yeah, um, uh, John, you've over the years debated many, many atheists, uh, whether it be Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens, I know here in Australia, Michael Shermer, and, and and Peter Singer as well, and, and a host of others throughout your, your time. Um, as we sort of look at at the coronavirus specifically, have you been hearing what the arguments are are around from atheists uh, in terms of um, how they're looking at the coronavirus? And then I suppose uh, juxtaposing that to to your understanding for, through that Christian uh, prism.
1: Yes, of course, because. Atheism for many people is the easy way out of this. They simply say, well, look, you don't need to look any further. This is COVID-19 is just clearly the way the universe is. And it's clear there's no God because he doesn't care. And if he does, he hasn't got the power to do anything. So let's just forget it, get used to it and settle down with the idea that there is no God at all. Now, that sounds impressive and it satisfies a lot of people. But It's got huge disadvantages. Um, Firstly, the removal of God does not remove the suffering. It's still there. And secondly, it does remove, atheism removes all ultimate hope because atheists, by definition, believe that death is the end. And if death is the end, then some people get lucky, as Dawkins says, and some people don't. And there's no rhyme or reason in it. And he goes on to say there's no good, no evil, and no justice. Well, now, that begins not to make any sense to me at all, because if you remove evil and good, then why talk about the problem of evil and suffering if there is no evil? And I do believe that atheism breaks down. In fact, I'm convinced that it's not Christianity that creates difficulty with science. It's atheism. Because, you see, atheism, how do we get to atheism? By using our minds. How do we do science with our minds? And yet, many of my atheist friends tell me that the human mind is the human brain, and that's the end product of a mindless, unguided process. And I've put it to many leading scientists. I've said, look, if you knew that your computer that you use every day was the end product of a mindless, unguided process, would you trust it? And every single one of them has said no. And then I say, I see you have a problem. You see, it's God, bringing God into the equation that makes sense of everything. And our human uh, sense of morality, justice, good and evil, rebels against the idea that there is no ultimate justice. That doesn't prove, of course, that it doesn't exist. And it's the biblical revelation in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If you recall, the early Christian apostles, when they talked about Jesus rising from the dead, they used that as evidence that God had appointed him to be the final judge, there is going to be justice. Atheism removes all of that. And so it is a hopeless faith and worldview. Mm.
0: Um John, as we, you know, we, we're wrapping up our time in the next couple of minutes, um, I'm wondering the encouragement, I suppose, for, for each of us. I certainly don't have uh, your mind or, or your ability to perhaps reason and, and, and go through some of these uh, big issues as well as you certainly can and you've spent many hours and days and years uh, you know, pouring yourself into that. Um, but I wonder if I could ask this question and maybe that can help all of us. As you approach the next few weeks through coronavirus and and looking at it through um, both the the idea of humanity as well as through a a Jesus and God lens, how are you going to be looking at this world? What what are you going to be um, grabbing a hold of and pondering? What are you going to be doing as you go about your life over this next little while?
1: Well, it's clear that many things are changing. This interview that we are now conducting, I think, is pretty well nearly number 60 in the last three or four weeks. And what I've discovered is that Zoom and Skype and the various platforms are enabling me to reach out to the world in a way that I have not done before. It's a very strange thing. Paul was in prison towards the end of his life, the apostle. And uh, writing from prison, he says the word of God isn't bound, even though he was. And that's what I'm experiencing. And I think we'll have to reorientate ourselves towards many things. We have been traveling very little. And I asked myself the question, do I need all this travel? Mm. We've been living a much simpler life, just going out occasionally to get food. And do we need much more than that? And reorientating ourselves to what we want as distinct from what we need. The other thing is this, creating opportunities for reaching out to people. We're locked down, but we do have a telephone. And what I've been trying to do is to think of people that I haven't spoken to maybe for years and phone them up. Now, that can have rather embarrassing results. (laughs) One person I phoned up said... He was slightly angry and he said, what are you doing ringing me up after all these years? But by the time we ended the conversation, he was thanking me. He said, this has really made my day. We can reach out to people who are locked down. We can encourage them. We can see how they're getting on and we can create a virtual world of relationship. We're going to have to think, we Christians, how we do church. Online churches have had more people very many, sometimes 10 times more than real churches and all this kind of thing. So clearly, we have to reorientate life. And at the center of all of it is, what are my values? And as a Christian, I want to ask, Lord, how do I reorientate my attitude? What do you want me to do? Now, of course, I've been called to do specialised work, as you say. I'm really an author now and a broadcaster, and I shall continue to do that. I've been working very hard in lockdown uh, and uh, revising all of my books and, I hope, producing some new ones. So it's for each of us to decide how we can reach out to others and help them in this situation and also recalibrate our lives and try to separate what's important from what isn't important. We long to be with our grandchildren. We haven't seen them for months, and that's one thing that we want to do as soon as we can. But everybody's different, and some of our countries have dealt with this much better than others. We have not done well here in the UK, and uh, we are paying for it, and many thousands of people unnecessarily dying. So I've no simple answer to that, I'm afraid.
0: No, no, but I think you've given us some good encouragement to at least start, say, asking ourselves some questions around what life could be for us. Can I just give out our care line number right now? Maybe something that uh, Professor Lennox has said in this past hour, indeed during the show, has just uh, rung some bells with you to start asking some bigger questions about what life is, about who Jesus is, about, uh, you know, John Lennox seems to be so convinced about Jesus and and the remarkable work that he can do in my life, and and you want to explore some more about that. Here's our care line number nine five eight three double two seven three or nine five eight three care if you use the letter pad on your phone. People are ready to take your calls right now, just to answer some of those questions or just guide you into your next stage as you explore some more. And maybe during this time of coronavirus, you are finding those moments uh, a little bit more able to ask some of those questions. Uh, John, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the program. Thank you for giving so much of your time to chat with us this evening. We so appreciate it.
1: Goodbye, and thank you very
0: much too. Professor John Lennox, my guest here on In Conversation on 89.9, The Light Bigger Questions, is on the way next.